You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, good morning to all of you. We just started a fall semester-long study in the book of Ecclesiastes last Sunday morning. Let me give you a little 30,000-foot altitude view of what we looked at last week, what we'll look at today, we'll look at for the weeks ahead as we're in this book. Here's, here's kind of an overview of the entire book. A life spent in pursuit of pleasure and achievement and control eventually leaves us empty. That's the essence of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're going to spend your time, your energy, your days, your seasons, you're going to fill up your schedule with, with a pursuit of, of pleasure. Just looking for that perfect weekend or that perfect person or that perfect thing that will give you pleasure. Then Solomon says that you'll spend the entirety of your life just chasing after nothingness. <laughs> If you spend your energy, your, your time, um, all the days of your life just looking for achievement, which always requires more achievement, by the way, or success, moving your way up the ladder, maybe in the corporate world, maybe in the academic world, you're just trying to always get more, gain more, succeed more. Solomon says, the book of Ecclesiastes says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that your life would really just end up in a, in a nothingness. Or if you spend all of your time, all your creativity, all of your desires, all of your passions, trying to control things, whether it be control your own life or control your own situation, control your own conditions, or often control people around you. The word of the Lord says it will just leave you empty every time because Solomon did this. I mean, Solomon spent a lot of his days, a lot of his money, a lot of his, 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 his energies pursuing pleasure, pursuing achievement, pursuing control. And, and he had all those things, and yet it left him so empty. There was a nothingness to his life. That's the negative view of a 30,000-foot altitude of, of what Ecclesiastes is about. Let me give you the positive view of that. The positive view is, is simply this. Life is a gift. I mean, every day you have is a gift. Every breath you have is a gift. And it really, Ecclesiastes is going to end up landing on that. Therefore, everything that we have, really, every, every good thing that we have, every, every day that we have, every situation that we have, we see God's, God's presence. That, that's always a, always a gift. And so life isn't just a chase for gain. Even though uh, the world around us, the culture around us, what would tell us, just, just go for more, just trying to keep, get, 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 get more, get more, get more. In fact, that kind of has become the American dream, really, when you think about it. It's just a chase for gain, for more things, more money, more opportunities, more achievement, more friendships. But life is a gift, not just a chase for gain. So Solomon, King Solomon, the author of this book, he begins to kind of pull back the layers, just like he would an onion, trying to get to the core of, of life, the core of our purpose, the, the core of all of us. And as he's pulling back all the different layers, he really kind of lands on three questions that, that we all have to answer. Everyone in this house, everyone watching online, have, we have to answer these three questions. It's kind of this, where, where did we come from? Then what's the purpose of life today? What's the meaning of life today? And where is all this going? What, what, is, what is next for me? And what is eternity for me? It's really important that we understand those are three questions of life. And Ecclesiastes comes to us and really kind of helps us with all of those three existential questions of life. You can pretty much wrap it up in these three words, origin, meaning, and destiny. Where is it that I've come from? What's, what's the purpose, the meaning of my life today? Where's all this headed? What's eternity going to look like for, for all of us? 
And really, a life that's disconnected from God will end up with a different answer than a life that is connected with God. For those who are disconnected from God or do not have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, here's, here's what those answers would look like. Really, your, your origins, you don't know where you have come from. You, it's unknown origins. I mean, I know you came from your mama, but I'm talking like esoterically, like, like what, what's the beginning of, of life? And then you can say, if you're disconnected from God, well, the meaning of my life is just really to serve myself. I live for me. I live for my interests. I live for my purposes. And then the destiny is really destiny unknown. So origin unknown, if you're disconnected from God, living for myself and destiny unknown. But if you are connected with God through the Son, Jesus Christ, your answers will look very different than that. Your answers of origin and meaning and destiny would be, well, I've come from God. I'm living for God. That's the purpose in my life. It's the meaning in my life. And I'm going to God. Completely different answers for those who are connected with God through Christ and those who are disconnected from God. When you think about those three key questions, those three elements of of life, the origin, the meaning, and the destiny. And so God's word is going to come to us. God's spirit is going to come to us in the book of Ecclesiastes and, and help us with those three really important questions from life. And so let's go together to the book of Ecclesiastes. We were in chapter one last week. We're, if you weren't here last week, you haven't missed a whole lot, just 12 verses. We're gonna start in verse 13. No, we're not. We're gonna start in verse 12 this morning. You've missed 11 verses from last week. Let's start in Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse 12. If you have a copy of God's word and maybe you're kind of relatively new to church or relatively new to opening up God's word, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of in the middle. There are six books that kind of occupy the middle of the Bible. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Isaiah. So if you just kind of open up your Bible to the middle, you should land probably in one of those six books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Or if you have a smartphone, just type in ECC, enter, and you'll be there very quickly. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. Let's be in God's word together. We'll pick up where we were, we dropped off last week. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Stop. And so what we see right here, we're reminding who, we're being reminded of who wrote this book. So we see that Solomon writes this book, but in context, he's also reminding us here of all the resources that he has in the world. In other words, if someone can figure out all this stuff of life, it's Solomon. He has influence. We see that by the word preacher. Now don't think preacher of a church or a pastor of a church. The word preacher here in Hebrew means one who can gather many people. So he has this influence of gathering people around him. He has authority. We see that he's the king. He has power. He's the king over Israel. And he has social standing. He is the king there in the capital city of Jerusalem, kind of the the, the known center of the universe at that time. And on top of all that, we discovered last week, he's the second wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus who had the advantage of being God. So he is the wisest mere mortal of all times. He's the salutatorian of of, of scripture. Verse 13. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Let's stop right there. Solomon here is committing himself to understanding life. Solomon is committing himself here to understand wisdom. He's going to work hard at it. It's actually becoming for him an obsession. And he's going to seek out all the wisdom that there is in the world under heaven. Now, if you weren't here last week, that is a 
key phrase. In fact, I would submit to you the book of Ecclesiastes does not make sense unless you understand that phrase under heaven or under the sun. It's used 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes and it helps us to understand why Ecclesiastes sometimes sounds so discouraging, actually so depressing at times. Because that phrase under heaven or that phrase under the sun means a life that is disconnected from God. It was an ancient understanding that that God was above the heavens or God was above the sun. So earthly life disconnected from God with earthly things, that happened under the sun or that happened under the heavens. So anytime you see that expression in the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll see it all throughout even chapter one. It means this is what it looks like to live a life separated from God, disconnected from God. Let's pick it up here again. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Second part of verse 13, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Solomon isn't that smart. He just ended a sentence with a preposition. Let's look at this one more time. In verse 13, the ESV, here's how the ESV renders it, the, the English Standard Version. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Here's how the NIV renders that. Maybe a little bit more easy to understand. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. Now, the King James Version, the translation that Jesus used, we see that the KJV, that was a joke. Some of y'all catch that a little bit later on. The KJV, here's how KJV renders Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 13. This sore, this is going to sound really dumb if I say this in my Waco accent. Fortunately, we have Ben from Britain that is here today. So Ben Lloyd, why don't you, you're from Oxford, England. Why don't you come up for us? Let's welcome British Ben to come read verse 13 for us. It's just going to sound so much better when, when he reads it. So British Ben, have at it. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. That gives me goosebumps. That's absolutely amazing. Ben, that was so much better than my Waco accent. Why don't you you read it for us one more time, if you don't mind. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Let's give it up for Ben. Thank you so much. That's so helpful. I'm going to talk like that in heaven. Basically, if you need an English translation from Ben's English, it is this. It is tough to be a human. That's what verse 13 is saying. It's tough to be a student. It's tough to be a, tough to be a parent. It's tough to be single. It's tough to be married. It's tough to be old. It's tough to be young. It's tough to be understood. It's tough to hold our convictions. It's tough to hold our tongue. It's almost oddly refreshing to see the Bible say right here, yep, life can stink. It's rough. It's burdensome. It can be tail feathers. It's tough to be a human. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity. We looked at that word last week. It means it's just a breath. It's just a vapor. It's just a morning mist. It's it's a nothingness. It's a meaninglessness. I have seen everything done under the sun, disconnected from God. And behold, everything is vain. Everything is meaningless. It's just a striving after wind. Solomon was well-traveled. I mean, he he had seen the, the known world. 
He was the son of a king. His dad was King David, who reigned for 40 years. Solomon, he, he himself had reigned for, for 40 years. He had all the resources to see all that there is, and he saw all that there was. His conclusion, when disconnected from God, life is a chase after nothingness. It's like trying to catch the wind in your hand. Anybody here have a wind collection? Like you, you can't catch it. You, you, can't, you can't chase it down. It's like trying to catch the wind when your life is disconnected from God. Life is just this pursuit after nothingness, just a morning mist, just a breath, just a vapor. Verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Now, two things we see here. If you're taking notes, this might be interesting for you to write this down in, in your Bible or in your notebook or a journal somewhere next to the verse 15. Here's really what Solomon is saying. He is saying, what is wrong cannot be made right. And what is lost cannot be recovered. I'm not sure there's anything more discouraging, depressing than that. Verse 15, let me just read that loud for you again. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. That just kind of squeezes all the hope out of our souls. The world is fundamentally flawed and we can't fix it. What Psalm is saying is everything under the sun is cursed and crooked. Psalm is reminding us about the fall in Genesis chapter 3 where everything that was right was was all of a sudden made, made wrong. Everything that was correct all of a sudden was, was lost. There's a curse all, all around us. Things are so crooked in the world around us. Things are so crooked in our culture today. It's so imperfect. And if you do not believe it's imperfect, try to be perfect this week. See what happens. Try to have a perfect week of school this week. Try to have a, a perfect semester and something's going to go wrong. Try to have a perfect family. You're going to have at least one kid that says, nope, this family's not going to be perfect. <laughs> Try to have a perfect week at, at work this week, and you'll get an email, or the boss will come in, and all of a sudden, your week will not be perfect. Something's gone terribly wrong. We live in such brokenness. We live in a world that's cursed. We live in a world that is, that is crooked. Something has gone so wrong, and no matter how many organizations we start, or elections we hold, or, or wars that we fight, or dollars we spend, or attempts that we make, or protests that we hold, or medications that we prescribe, or bad guys that we lock up, or tears that we shed, the world is hopelessly crooked and cursed. Why can't we fix it? Because crooked people can't straighten out a crooked world. But every generation tries. I kind of skipped over this last week, not really on purpose, but I want to go back and look at it. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. We read this last week. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but I'm going to spend just a few moments on it this morning. A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth just kind of stays the same. A generation dies off, a brand new generation comes, it's raised up, there's a new generation, but the earth just remains forever. Nothing really changes. Think about that, it's so true. The older generation, as it gets older, and the new generation, the younger generation steps up and says, now once we're in charge, we're going to fix all the things the older generation broke. Once we're in charge, we're going to fix all the things that our parents did wrong. We're going we're to make all things right. But you know what the problem is? We don't. Our younger generation in love, you won't. There's been 180 generations from the time of Adam till today. Things really haven't gotten better. 
mean, technology is different, but the human condition is not. When you think about it, really, we, we say we're going to make things right. We say we're going to make things better. We're going to try to fix things, but, but it just never happens because everyone has a different plan, but no one has a better plan. Verse 16. Solomon is speaking to himself now. This is the wisest man in the universe outside of Jesus, and he's, he's considering things. Verse 16, so I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving or a chasing, chasing after wind, For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Solomon has searched all of civilization. He gathers as much information as he can. And he realizes once more he's just chasing the wind. He is pursuing something he can never catch. What did he do? Three quick things. He tries higher thinking. Uh, Look at verse 17, the the very first part of that. And I applied my heart to know wisdom. Your Bible might render that word knowledge. I'm pursuing knowledge. I'm going to be committed to, to being wise. So context again. Solomon is talking here about the wisdom that's under the sun or under the heaven. He's talking about wisdom that is derived from human knowledge. So philosophy and and religion and psychology and sociology and physics and and logic and rhetoric, all the the best ideas that man has. But in the end, really all an educated person can do is die an educated failure. All the learnings of this world cannot change the human heart. Let me say it again to a lot of the students who are here today. All the learning in the world, it cannot change a human heart. You're never going to change yourself or change others just with more human wisdom. Which means for us that true change has to occur when something outside of us begins to enter in. Verse 18 is interesting to me. For in much wisdom is much vexation or, or strife or sorrow or, or grief. And he who increases knowledge, if you're just going to grow in knowledge, you're also going to increase in in sorrow. In other words, wisdom apart from God just brings on more sorrow. It brings on more grief. And instead, it brings this, this, this vexation, ESV would say. Why would more wisdom bring us more grief? Why would more knowledge bring us more sorrow? Because we thought wisdom might make us happy. And it didn't. In fact, all it did was make us more aware of the pain inside of us and the pain around us when we live life disconnected from God. So he tries this higher thinking. And a lot in our nation today would say, if you can just elevate your mind, if you can just know more things, if you can just think with greater wisdom and just take on more knowledge, maybe you'll find meaning and purpose in life. But Solomon tried that. He tries higher thinking. So the next thing he does is he tries lower foolishness. Honestly, I'm not sure I've ever seen this portion of Ecclesiastes before, and I've read this book before, when it says here in verse 17, I applied my heart to know wisdom, but look what else he applied his heart to do. I also applied my heart to know folly, to know madness, to know foolishness. In other words, I'm going to apply myself to do dumb things, which kind of sounds like the mantra of our freshman year, right? I'm just going to apply myself to do dumb things. He decided to spend a portion of his life, a portion of his time, a portion of his money to do stupid things. 
meaninglessness multiplied by meaninglessness. I'm going to spend my money on, on folly. The word folly in, in Hebrew is the word sikluth. And sikluth means silly things that don't matter. Uh, it, it means meaningless things that do not count for anything in life. And so Solomon says here, even all this wisdom, I'm going to commit myself to doing dumb things. I'm going to choose to make foolish decisions. I'm going to choose to live foolishly in seasons of life. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to live for my flesh. I'm going to live for sensuality. I'm going to live for the party. I'm going to live for the temporary. But guess what? He found no joy there either. He found no meaning in life in the higher thinking. He found no meaning in life in the lower foolishness. When you think about it, marketers today, advertisers today, they they try to hit us at one of these two places. If we'll buy their product, one of these two great things will happen. If you'll buy our product, you'll be the smartest person in your office. Uh, buy this product and everyone in the neighborhood, everyone in the city, everyone in your family will think you're so smart, so wise. Or have you noticed the marketers will also hit the exact opposite? They'll hit number two. If you'll buy this car or drink this beer, You'll always be outside by a lake with a, with a swing rope on that lake. And there'll be people bouncing around you in tight swimsuits in a circle in slow motion. It's amazing. If you'll just buy this car or drink this, you'll have the best foolishly partied life of ever. You will love life. You'll either be super smart or have super fun. This is where we're hit at today. Solomon could have told all of us before we watch the, the, the next commercial that we're not going to find joy in, in being the wisest. We're not going to find joy in higher thinking. We're also not going to find joy in, in lower foolishness. So the third thing he does, is he tries everything apart from God. But you see, the universe in and of itself, apart from God, does not contain anything therein to give us joy or fulfillment or, or happiness or meaning or, or purpose. In fact, I'm going to save a lot of 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds here today a, a lifetime of Frustration, if I can tell you right now, there is no satisfaction apart from God. Amen. It breaks my heart to even say that because I know some of you, even in this house today, some of you watching online today, you will spend money and time and creativity and daydreams, all your energy, pursuing something that does not even exist. It's just a chasing after the wind. There is no satisfaction outside of God. Let me just ask you, you know, where, where do you look? Where do you look for meaning and for purpose? Where do you look for, for purpose in life? Do you look to your job, to success, finding a spouse, having a perfect family, having more money, things, your hobby, your free time, your friendships, perfect grades? I mean, Solomon had all of these things in spades. He had all these things, and his conclusion is life under the sun is just empty. Life outside of God is a nothingness. Friends, there has to be something more. And there is. It's Jesus. He's the one who can change the human heart, He's the one who can change your heart. 
I know we've read it twice already. Just go back to verse 15 with me one more time. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 15. I think this is such a, a key thing for us to consider together today as we wrap this up. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. That's the two things that we saw there. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is lost cannot be recovered. I'll say it again. How depressing is that? But you see, the book of Ecclesiastes gives us a longing for a true king. A king who will come and right the wrongs. A king who will come and recover everything that was lost because we can't beat the curse. We can't straighten the crooked ourselves, but Jesus can. Jesus did. At his cross and in his resurrection. You see, we need someone not crooked to come and straighten out our hearts and straighten out this mess. We needed someone from above the sun, above the heavens, who isn't cursed to save us from the curse of the fall, the curse of our rebellion, the curse of this world. So let's land on some good news. Let's land on some gospel today. What is wrong can be made right. What is lost can be recovered but only through the king of kings. And you may be here today thinking, I've done so many wrong things. Preacher God, you have no idea all that I have done. I've got good news for you. God's love is greater than your sin. His grace is deeper and wider than your rebellion. He came so that all of our wrongs could be forgiven and would be forgiven. You may be here today saying, hey, preacher God, you don't know all I've lost. I've lost friends, I've lost my innocence, I've lost my purity, I've lost my testimony. Jesus came to recover everything that we lost. So Jesus, the one on whom you can believe and turn to today can give you life. The purpose, the meaning, the fulfillment, the satisfaction that we all long for. He can right every wrong. He can recover everything we have lost. He can forgive every sin. He can forgive all of our foolishness. So, oh, praise this one who came to pay the debt of all of our crookedness, who came to reverse the curse. Oh, praise this one who came to give us life and to become for us wisdom. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. Father, a lot of us in this place, we either have attempted or right in the middle of attempting the very life that Solomon found so meaninglessness, so much meaninglessness. God, we've, we've tried higher thinking. If I can just learn more things, we've tried lower foolishness. If I can just enjoy the scene and do everything for myself and for my own flesh and for my own sensuality. God, we've tried all these things apart from you. And Solomon was true. Under heaven, wrongs can't be made right. Things that are lost cannot be recovered. But we praise the one today, the the God who is above the sun, the God who is above the heavens, who sent his son to walk with us, to live life with us, to live a perfect life, to, to go to a cross because of our crookedness, to go to a cross because of our foolishness. 
And then by his own authority, raised himself up again to pay the debt of a crooked, sin-filled world and my crooked, sin-filled heart. God, forgive us that we have chased everything under the sun and we have nothing to show for it. But today, in Christ Jesus, we have everything we need for life. Because of that debt that he paid on what should have been our cross, we praise him and we pray in his name and we sing for his name. Amen.